I mean, sometimes all you can do is just say, wow, right? <laughs> and this is one of those times where all you can do is say, wow, and soak it all in everything that God has for us. Just grab a hold of it. Don't let go. And thank you again for being with us today on this very special Palm Sunday, the week before we celebrate Easter. And, and if you, as, as Joseph mentioned, uh, bring anybody and everybody you can with you. God is in the business right now and forevermore of changing lives. So we are expecting amazing things next week, and we are seeing amazing things this week. So welcome. If you're visiting with us for the first time on your handout, there is a place for you to just give us a little bit of information. On one side and on the other side at the bottom of the page is a place where you can share your prayer requests with us. And believe you me, we have a, an incredible team that prays every week for all of the requests and needs that come in and are made known to us. And while you're at it, if you would, grab your handouts. They're going to turn the house lights up a little bit so you can take some notes and follow along. And you're here in a good week. As we said last week, every week's a good week. We are in part two of our story. I want to thank our team for putting together testimony uh, videos and more of those are to come. And more of you are going to be uh, uh, a part of those as we move forward because God is writing stories each and every day, each and every week here at and through Connections in our current study called Our Story. Last week in the first message, we got off to a really good start in this incredible journey and drama that we call life. And we took a, a very good look at who God is and who we are in God as the, the story of our history was, was started there in the garden. And we found out also that we were planned for a purpose and we're loved by our incredible God more than we could ever even imagine. And, and what a start we had. Placed in a perfect paradise and a purpose in our lives and on our lives for what God had for us. Knowing God and being fruitful and productive. And it was literally a paradise in every sense of the word. Complete perfection as we find out there in the very first pages of Genesis. But as in almost every movie, book, or television story, there comes a twist somewhere along the way, right? You ever notice that, how they, they take you to the highs and lows and, and bring you back up and down again? Well, this one had the most tragic twist in the history of humanity. And that's what we're going to unpack a little bit today. And, and, and we find out that sin enters the picture. Now, I know there's some churches out there that, that don't want you to mention sin any longer, right? I mean, have you ever read articles about that, that, that they're moving away from things like sin, the blood, crucifixion, all that kind of stuff? They want to clean up the Bible and the gospel. Man, how many of you know you can't clean up God's Word? I mean, it's dirty, it's messy, it's tragic, it's, it's heroic. There's all kinds of stuff in there. And it all matters because it was all done to save our lives. And what we find out here is that sin enters the picture, that destructive trap that is rebellion against God, born from Satan's original rebellion against God that got him kicked out of heaven himself. We heard the beginning of the story last week, the opening chapters of Genesis where God creates the heaven and the earth and, and he forms man and woman in his image and he places them in the garden to enjoy intimacy with him and with one another and with all of creation and God calls them to be sub-creators and stewards, good stewards of this beautiful paradise, this world that he, he created and, and gave to them. It's a place of a peace that's flourishing and, and it has wholeness and completeness and the way the world was meant to be. But we know full well it doesn't stay that way very long. It's not too much time passes before tragedy strikes and Adam and Eve rebel against God and, and the peace is disrupted. And many of you, what am I saying? Many of you, all of us know what that's like. 
when our peace is disrupted, when, when sin is, is a part of our lives and how it just disrupts and, and messes up so many things. And that's exactly what happened with, with Adam and Eve. There's, there's nothing to rejoice about because all of a sudden when they, they made that decision, when they, when they partook of that fruit, they're expelled from the garden. They've sent east of Eden, as the Bible tells us. And at that moment in time, only tears and broken hearts are a part of their lives, including God's heart. And it's only going to get worse because... Because sin, if not dealt with properly, spreads like a wildfire. Would you write that down? If it's not dealt with in the right way, then sin will spread like a wildfire. And it destroys the joy of living in right relationship with God. So what we see is, is just the tragic domino effect. You ever, you ever set up a bunch of dominoes and then watch them as they, they go over and one after the other just hits the next one, the next one, the next one? That's kind of what we see, the, the ripple effect here, so to speak. Because next thing you know, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, uh, you know, because of jealousy, Cain kills Abel and cries out these words, Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, how terrible the very first murder, the blood of his brother soaking into the ground. Human civilization spreads and then more violence and darkness and more breaking of God's heart. And then all of a sudden God says, you know what? Enough is enough. I've done with this. And he sends this great flood. But a man named Noah and his family were called by God to build what? Now, you learned this in Sunday school. Come on, track with me. To build this great big ark, this ship. You know, the amazing thing about building the ark was it had never rained on the earth before that point in time. So people must have been walking by saying, man, what's wrong with you, Noah? I mean, what is this thing even for? We, we, you know, what do you need that for? But he stepped out in faith, and God saved a remnant of humanity. But there's nothing to be joyful about here either. God starts over a world washed clean, but even after this new beginning, it's only a matter of time, as you see in the pages of Scripture before, human hearts that are prone to wonder. You ever noticed how our hearts kind of tend to get off track so easily? Would once again leave the God that they love so dearly. And next come the building of the tower, reaching up to heaven, another futile effort like in the garden to become gods themselves. It's one tragedy piled onto another. And right, right now, the story's not going too well, wouldn't you say? I mean, things have spun off the track really, really bad here. Is there any hope? Any hope at all? Well, you know, the, the crazy thing about tragic situations like this is that. Some of these happen to us, and they're out of our control. I mean, I don't know if you watched the news late last night or early this morning, but the storms that kind of ripped through uh, the, the, the plains of, of our, our, our country and, and devastated parts of Texas and tornadoes and all kind of destruction, you, you can't do anything about that. You can't stop that. I mean, it would be nice to be able to stop those kinds of natural disasters, but you can't. You can't stop what somebody else is going to do to you. I mean, if they're going to betray you or, or stab you in the back or, or walk out on the relationship or whatever form or fashion, and, and you cannot do anything about that. And, man, those things hurt, but, but they're, they're different kinds of tragedy. But here we see a tragedy that we are all, all too familiar with, and that is the tragedy of making a terrible choice. You ever done that? Am I the only one in the room that has? Kind of a hands-up portion of the, of the message here. Yeah. Yeah, we all have. I mean, it starts early on when we're just little kids and we see a toy that little Johnny has over there in the nursery. And we really want that toy. And so instead of going politely and saying, hey, Johnny, could I use the toy for a little while? You've had it like 10 minutes now. Maybe it's my turn. No, we usually don't do that. We just go over there and say, mine, grab it, and run off with it. And little Johnny starts crying, coming after us. Next thing you know, there's a toddler fight going on, and people are bringing out knives and chains. I'm just kidding. It doesn't go to that extent. 
But we all have been guilty of making terrible decisions, so we can't look back and say, man, shame on our forefathers. Shame on Adam and Eve for ever making that, although it would have been nice if they wouldn't have done that, but they did, just like we do all too often, making bad choices, choosing sin over the relationship with God. I want to share with you very quickly four consequences of, of what we find out sin does, what, what, what it does and what it did there in the garden. Part of the deceitfulness of sin is that it, at its conception it appears inconsequential and not that bad in most cases, but that could not be further from the truth. Sin comes with consequences that are tragic beyond all imagination. The Bible narrative of the fall leaves no doubt about this matter. So here's the greater impact. First of all, in your outline there, the most obvious consequence of the fall is the radical change in man's attitude towards God. Overwhelmed with a sense of guilt and shame, Adam and Eve hide themselves from the face of their creator. The first ever game of hide and seek took place right here in Genesis chapter 3. You ever thought of it that way? I mean, God came down like he always did in the cool of the day, wanted to hang out with him and walk with him and talk with him and, and just be there, be that, be that friend that's closer than a brother, but they were nowhere to be found. They're, they're, they're hiding. It changes things not for the better. We have a different attitude towards God. It, it was right there. Super clear, man. They, they had been there every day just waiting on God to show up and, and walk with them and say, God, you're not going to believe today. Today, we, we saw these things called giraffes. And, and they're called giraffes because you let us name them. And there's some goofy-looking creatures, man. They got this big, long neck and these big old rickety little legs that, that you know, they just prance around. on. It's amazing, God. You should see them. Well, you did see them. You, you made them, actually. And, and so, but yeah, we got to see them for the first time. But instead, they were hiding from God. They, they knew that they had crossed that line where God said, no, stay away. So it changes our attitude towards God. Their eyes, we read in verse 7, were open. And they were naked and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God in the trees of the garden. Second consequence of the fall is a, a change in God's attitude towards man. We see God's other faiths, as Luther said many years ago, where, where there had been harmony. Now the, the note of rebuke is struck soundly here. In, in Genesis 3.11, man hears the reproving questions. Who told you you were naked and have you eaten from the tree? Now here's the thing about it. God knows all right. He knew they had. He knew they had violated what he had told them not to do. And yet he's just wanting them to admit it, Right? He's wanting them to fess up and say, yep, you told us not to. However, we made a terrible choice, and we did. So God is confronting and dealing with them here. We see in his divine character a new aspect, and that's anger expressing itself in correction. And a curse, a curse which does not remove the privileges and responsibilities which with which man is created, but rather embitters them. Because here's what happens. Here's what God says is going to take place. Because you violated that, here's what's going to happen. Motherhood is now going to be filled with pain. How many of you moms know all about that? Work is going to be filled with toil and perspiration. How many of all of us know about that, right? How many of you have been working in your yards here the last couple of weeks, and man, it's getting a little warmer, and you're kind of working up a sweat, and you're rubbing them blisters on the hand. Man, imagine working back in the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect, and this hadn't happened before, and guess what? No blisters. No sweat running down and stinging your eyeballs, man, because it's all salty and everything. And, and, and no getting dehydrated because you're, you're depleted. 
But now things have changed and your work is going to be filled with toil and perspiration. And the relationship of man and woman are going to be marred by tyranny on, on, on the one hand and abject submission on the other. Those are the three things that God said were going to take place. Folks, here's what I want us to know and take away. Sin always has the heaviest price there is to pay. Very, very costly. The third thing we find out there on our outline is that man's entire environment is perverted by a sin. The very ground is affected adversely for man's sake. Cursed is the ground for your sake is what verse 17 of Genesis 3 tells us. And Paul says in his writings to the Romans that the whole creation groans and travails together in Romans 8, 22. Man, this earth is suffering. You ever thought of it like that? This earth is not the perfect place. I really believe that before this happened, there were no thunderstorms that would have kind of come through and could, could get even worse and create other, other problems. There were, there were no hurricanes. There were no tornadoes. There was nothing like that, that the earth itself was, was pure, was beautiful, was perfect. No issues, no problems. The soil was rich and fertile everywhere you went. No rocky, mountainous terrain that was going to you know, disrupt your, your planting or whatever else. So I believe that, just as the Bible says, the, the earth is suffering because of the choice of sin. And finally, as a result of the fall, man is marked, and don't miss this, for death. The threat that he should suffer the wage of sin, which is death, as Romans 6, 23, clearly tells us is now carried out. And I know one thing for sure, we've all, we've all experienced that terrible, terrible price. There's not a single person in this room that has not lost someone by way of death that you knew and loved dearly. Not a single one. Not a single one watching right now. We have all tasted that bitter, bitter pill. And it's awful. And the Bible clearly tells us that this would be what would happen. The warning that they should, that they defy the divine prohibition and eat the forbidden fruit, then they would surely die, as God said, becomes a reality for them in this moment, banished from the garden with its tree full of life, they and, and we, their offspring, now face the fearful prospect of returning to the ground from which we were taken. How many of you remember Adam was created from what? From the dirt. And Eve was created from Adam's, which was a prime rib. That's right. You remember from last week. That's good. Don't, don't let that go, ladies. And so now God says, from dust you came and now to dust you will go at some point in time in your life because of this terrible decision in Genesis 3, 19. This is no mere description of a natural process because death in the Bible is anything but a natural phenomenon. Much less a gentle nurse that takes us in the, the arms of, of eternal sleep. That's just not the way it is. Who wants death for a nursemaid? It's the grim reaper, that last enemy who, thank God, has been and shall be destroyed by him who death could not hold, right? Spoiler alert. That's coming next week. But from the perspective of the history of our first parents, this final victory over our final enemy is thousands of years off. So as we can clearly see, sin brings horrific consequences. Here's what it does to us. It, it separates us from God. That's the worst thing of all. It separates us and then it shames us because we start feeling that, that guilt that starts eating us up inside and, and no matter what we do, we can't get away from it. And then it steals and it kills and it destroys as the Bible tells us in the New Testament. So sin is an awful enemy, the worst enemy that we have in our lives. No doubt about it. 
What a terrible turn in our story, right? I mean, things were going so good. You ever been watching a movie and thought the same thing? Man, this thing's going great, and then all of a sudden they do this? I mean, it's a whole lot worse, but, but you know, when Mountie Jack was killed off on Wind Calls the Heart, man, that just kind of got you right there, didn't it? How many of you fans of that show? My wife definitely is. That's the, yeah, she's holding her hand up. Hi. Because he just kept thinking, he's going to come back. It's going to be okay. They're just kind of messing with you here. And, and it's going to just hit a high note in a moment when he comes riding back into town, all tattered and torn, but still living and still going. And, and everything's going to be good. Back to his wife and his new baby. And oh, what a happy, happy ending to the story. But as bad as that was, this is t- millions of times worse. Because this affects every single person of humanity, including all of us. That are hearing this right now. Now fast forward some 6,000 plus years and we're still battling sin in our lives. How many of you battled some sin this week in your life? Go ahead, raise your hand. And I'm not talking all just the big stuff. I'm not talking you were tempted to kill somebody. I mean, maybe you were, hope not. I hope it's not getting to that point. If so, meet me after church, you know, as soon as we finish this. Because we just want to kind of wrap our arms around you and help you get through that. Before some law enforcement officers help you in another way. So just come and see us. But, but we all battle all kinds of stuff each and every day of our lives. And, 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 and we're still battling that in our lives and will until Jesus comes back for us. So what do we do when we give in and sin? How many of you did that this week? You don't have to raise your hands to that one, but I will. Whatever it was, big, small, when we give in to sin... Here's kind of like what we tend to do with, with our sin. And, and very rapid pace here, and you can just kind of fill these in. Number one, we like to hide it, just like Adam and Eve. We, we try to run away and, and hide, but, but that doesn't work because God's undefeated in hide and seek, right? He knows everything. We can't get away from his presence. He knows exactly where, where we are, and, and he's going to find us, and he's going to confront us with our sin. So, you know, you can run and hide all you want, but it's just not going to work I can just tell you up front sometimes we like to excuse it like like Adam did when he said and and I quote God this woman you gave me now remember last week he was all excited wow this one is amazing she's bone in my bone and flesh finally God you gave me a help me to man I could not be more excited many of you remember that on your wedding day right you were all full of butterflies and joy and happiness and you're on top of the world and things couldn't have been better for you and your, your spouse and, and then all of a sudden some things happen life goes on you make some dumb choices you, you you do some things you shouldn't have done you said some things you shouldn't have done and the next thing you're looking at going this woman you gave me Messed it all up. God, it's her fault. We play the blame game. We like to say, not me. You ever notice that nobody wants to take responsibility for their own stuff, their decisions and actions anymore, and and it started with Adam? Blame it on the guy. It's okay. He did it first. So we try the it's not my fault game. Maybe, maybe you've done this. If my parents would have only raised me different, with, if mom would have spent more time, you know, with me as, as a smaller child, if dad would have taken me fishing and, and to the ball games and, and hung out with me and said, now, Junior, this is how you do this stuff. If, 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 if my parents, if, if I had more money, if I had more money, I would have embezzled from my company. See, that's the problem. 
you know, if I had more money in my bank account, my savings account was full, then I wouldn't have had to do that, but I just don't have it for some reason, so I had to go out and get it another way. Well, if I had more talent, I would be doing this, and, and I could achieve this and all that. And God, it's your fault. You didn't give me the ability or the talent to do those things I've always wanted to do. For some reason, you gave me other talents, and, and it's your fault. Now I'm in this situation I'm in because you didn't give me. If, 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 if. And I'm not pointing a finger at you because I've said those things, tried those things before as well. So here's a little notation to that. Stop the insanity, right? It's not their fault, and it's not God's fault. It's our fault. Let's own it. Let's take some responsibility. Another thing we try to do is compare to others and, and minimize. God, God I, I know, I know I did this, but, but look at what they did, right? I mean, when you look at mine, Compared to theirs, there, there's just really no comparison because God, if you're grading on a scale, so one to ten, so mine would be somewhere around 0.5, not even a one, like a like a point five, and theirs, theirs would be up towards fifteen. I know the ten was the max, but but it's so bad you gotta you gotta just keep going up to maybe fifteen, maybe even twenty. I don't know. That's how terrible their sin is. So compared to their great big twenty over here, my little point five over here, nah, it's nothing, nothing. Just let me slide on by with that, right? Because that's not hurting anybody. I, I, me and you, the only ones that know about it. But look, they're being dragged across the front page of every newspaper in the nation because they went on this crazy attack. And, and so there's mine, big, little, no comparison, God. I'm okay. They're not okay. You go deal with them. And, and me and you, we, we're square, right? But the funny thing is, God doesn't grade on a scale or a curve. Here's what God says. Sin is sin. Big sin, little sin, medium sin, it doesn't matter. Sin is sin, so we can't compare to others. We can't minimize ours. We can't try to make ours look better by looking at others who's is really, really bad. It's, it's all really, really bad. Another option is to try to cover ourselves. They tried the fig leaf fix. I mean, they, they tried everything. They tried to just cover it up. We try to hide the sin and when hiding it doesn't work, we don't know what else to do most of the time. Here's what David said in Psalm 32.3. He said, when I hid my sins, my bones withered away in me. Did you hear that this morning? David said, when I try to hide the sin in my life, then my bones literally start withering away. It affects me physically. Something happens on the inside of me. I start dying more and more and more. I start decomposing, literally, is what's happening there. I am being eaten up by the sin that I am hiding in my heart. People wonder why they're in a mess right now, why emotionally, all that stuff, they just can't get it together. It's because they've tried to cover it up, the great cover-up. And I'm telling you, that doesn't work either. The last thing I'm just going to share with you is we try to ignore it, pretend it didn't happen. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the cover up. The problem with that is that it never, ever, ever works. The guilt stays with us and continues to rear its ugly head in so many other ways in our lives and through our lives. We will not be emotionally well. Get this, church. Hear me this morning. Look at me right now. Don't lose me. Don't get distracted. We will never be emotionally well, physically well, or spiritually well when we try to ignore the sin that's in our lives. Again, I truly believe that so many suffer today because of trying to ignore their sin. Sin causes us to suffer, church, in so, so many ways. So we got to deal with it properly. We've got to do the right thing with sin. 
These are the wrong things that we just walked through, right? You're in agreement of that. Just by a quick show of hands, how many of you tried one or all of these things before and found like I have that it does not work, it never will work? Just raise your hands up. So let me tell you the right thing to do with sin. God tells us the answer when he says, bring your sin to me in full repentance. Anybody tell me what repentance is? Turning away. Amen. Thank you, preachers. In the building, turning away to bring it to him. And here's how we bring it to him, with a broken and contrite heart that also realizes that we have broken God's heart. And we confess and repent, which means to turn away from it, as our preachers just told us, and run from the very sins that have caused this pain and brokenness within our lives. That's the only real solution to the sin problem, full, genuine repentance. Acts chapter 3, 19 tells us to repent then and turn to God so that you're Sins may be what? Whoa! Wiped out completely. Done away with. Cleared out of your life. Moved from you. As the Bible tells us, our sins can be cast as far as the east is from the west. And we know that there is no measuring point possibility to that distance. It's going to be gone forever. He says also in his word that he throws them into the sea of what? Forgetfulness. Never to be counted against us any longer. So you can't hide it, you can't cover it up, you can't run from it, you can't blame anybody else. The right response to sin in our lives is to come clean before God and say, God, forgive me, I sinned, I blew it, I need your blood to come and wash over me. Change me. Make me holy as you are holy. Get rid of the filth in my life, God. Get rid of the rebellion in my life, God. I want to serve you. I want to know you. I want to be in right relationship. Because hear what David prayed in Psalm 32, 5. He said, finally. And I believe when he's talking that word, finally, he's tried all these other ways. And he said, finally, I confessed all my sins to you. And I stopped trying to hide my sin. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And God, you forgave me and my guilt is gone. Praise God. There's the answer. Confess it. Come to God with a broken heart that says, Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer. I have sinned against you. I have made that choice. Re repenting and confessing, come clean. That's the right response to sin. For every single one of us, both in this room and outside of this room, and guess what? That, that covers everybody. Because y'all are in here and they are out there, right? So everybody, the right response for sin is confession. But here's the thing about it. If you'll just close your eyes for a moment. The Holy Spirit leads us to that repentance by breaking our hearts to those things that have broken God's heart. And we must, in full obedience, respond by saying, Yes, Lord, I have sinned and I need your cleansing and forgiveness. So I felt the Holy Spirit lead this way as we are in this time of our service together this morning that right now we are going to, as an act of repentance, 
and confession to God, we are going to, as a family, as a body of believers, partake of communion. So as the worship team comes and the the ushers come, and and here's what's going to happen with your eyes still closed for just a moment, another moment. They are going to get in position to serve us. There's going to be some of the elements on the table for these two middle sections, and then there are going to be ushers on both sides for the side sections. And when I ask you to, I'm going to ask you and release you to come and make your way down. Guys, if you'll spread out over that way a little bit more to be in front of those sections. And guys, the same over here. Thank you. And this left side, your right, you're going to come down this middle aisle, take the elements, and then go circle back up on the wall side. Same thing with this right side, your left side. You're going to come down your middle aisle and go across the front and take your elements and go back to the wall side to your seats in the middle. You're going to come down that same aisle over there, come across. If everybody will file to your left, come down and come across front of the table and serve yourself, and then go back to your seats, back up the left side, your right side. I don't want it to be too complicated. Hopefully, hopefully you've got that. But here's what I want to do. I want to read the account of Jesus when he instituted communion or the Lord's Supper as we also call it. In Luke's gospel, chapter 22, beginning in verse 14, it says, And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. The hour was the time before his crucifixion when he was spending his last moments with these these disciples who had been with him all this time. And he said to them in verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this divided amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to ask you now, would you just get up from where you're seated, everybody in the room, if you can, if you need someone to come and assist you, please do, and just make your way down and serve yourself from the cup and the bread, and take it back to your seats, and we'll partake together when everyone has been served. Sit or stand, whatever you feel led to do at this moment but just take take a minute or two pray this prayer in your own heart God search me Lord if there be any wicked way in me cleanse me remove it wash me whiter than the snow Lord I want nothing between you and me Would you just do that 
repent, confess. Allow the Lord to touch on anything that might be there. Not making anything up, but just if there be anything before we partake together. It's amazing to me that in verse 15 again, Jesus, knowing what this meant, said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew that he was the answer to our sin problem. And as painful, hard as it was going to be, he was fully willing to give himself again he said this bread this is my body which is given for you Lord we honor you and thank you that you loved us so much that you gave everything you had every bit of your being God everything was spilled out was beaten Lord for us punished abused God all all that you you took you did it because you loved us and we thank you and Lord we will never forget in Jesus name we pray you can partake of the bread Thank you, Lord. And likewise, the cup, like us after they had eaten, he said, this cup that is poured out before you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus, your blood washes away all of our sins. That blood that flowed at the the whipping post The blood that flowed as the crown of thorns were not gently placed but pressed upon your head. The blood as the nails, spikes were pounded in your wrists and your feet. And you hung on that cross. Lord, you did it for us. And we remember and we thank you. Would you partake now? Father, forgive us anything that's in our lives. And Lord, we celebrate your forgiveness and we thank you for your great love that extended beyond our sins and still does. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen, church? Grace abounds much more. God, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, and your forgiveness. We don't want to focus on the sin. We want to acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it, God, but we want to celebrate you and your forgiveness, your cleansing, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We honor you. Jesus' name. If you would have a seat, just another moment. I want to share these closing statements with you of how to be victorious over sin. 
We're not the church that dwells on the negative all the time. We acknowledge the truth of God's word and what, what is there before us. But we also want to give you equipment to overcome. Amen. So four quick things I'm going to share with you. First one is we love God with everything that we have. With an undivided heart. We don't give ourselves to anything of this world, but we give ourselves completely to Jesus Christ. Completely to the kingdom of God and say, God, my heart beats for you. I love you more than anything or anyone or any else that this world has to offer. And then secondly, we heed the warning signs when danger is there. I was, I was doing something this week and I saw this danger sign. It just hit me, man, just like a, a ton of bricks. The Lord says, there, I put these things in your place all the time, in your, in your pathway, so you know to avoid the danger when it comes to the traps of sin and the enemy trying to trip you up. They're always there. You just got to see them. Heed those things. Know they're everywhere. The Holy Spirit that's living inside of us warns us, but big flashing lights do not enter. Stay away. Do not touch. Thirdly, know the truth of God's Word. When, when, when the devil tried to tempt Jesus into sinning, Jesus continued to say, It is written, shall not have any other gods before our God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Know the Word and let the Word Free you from the sins of this world. And then fourth, always know, always be aware that there is always a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that there's no temptation known to man, that there's not a way of escape for. The, the question is, are we always looking for that way? Are we always saying, God, you know what? This thing is hitting me hard. I, I'm facing this temptation, but I know that you have made a way that I can overcome and defeat this and not give in. Not give in to it. Church, we've got to run and pray and look for it. And be wise and be aware. Be vigilant. Because the enemy is out there prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But guess what? He's not getting us, right? Would you turn to somebody and say, he's not getting me. How about you? He is not getting us. Would you give the Lord a hand of praise and thanksgiving right now? He is worthy. He is worthy. And we're going to sing this out with all of our hearts. Would you stand up right now and join the team and worship God this morning with everything you've got. Thank you so much.